0: You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. And we are back, Tracy. Yeah, I know you're back at school.
1: Yes, back at school. Yeah, I mean, it's... I do like seeing the students face to face physically in person. So having done the first couple weeks of the semester remote for reasons, you know, was was fine, but it's really good to just kind of get my feet on the ground in the room with the
0: students and and all of that. So so, so it's cool. So, so it's interesting like the most interactions I have with people in person is going mm-hmm. to the grocery store. And right now, my favorite grocery store is a Kroger store. It's called King Supers, And Mm -hmm. uh, their workers are on strike because, you know, they, they want better pay. They want better hours. They're upset about the Illuminati and the lizard people running the world. You name it. They're very upset about all these things. And it's forcing me to go to other stores like Safeway. I hate Safeway. You go into Safeway now and they're like, oh, my God, where did all these people come from? Kill us now. Oh, oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Because there's all the overflows. I'm actually impressed that so many people here locally are supporting the unionized workers at King Supers by going to other stores. But at the same time, the other stores are like, oh, my God, we've never seen this many people in our lives. Help.
1: I mean... Upside downside. Nice to discover that <laughs> that the people around you aren't gonna aren't gonna jump the line and. Well, and for me, it feels union. like going to Comic
0: Con, yeah. and I don't like Comic Con. It's like there's too oh, many
1: people. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, I can totally feel people that. People. Right, right. Yeah, like, and put on so, your damn mask. Come on.
1: That as well. I ran. I, I had to gas up at a Seven Eleven the other day, and I had my first, honest to God, truly first encounter with a non-masked adult human in the wild for, in, for like the entire pandemic, and it was it was jarring it was a thing. I kept I kept my distance. So w- anyway. with, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of that is, you know, it's kind of grounding us in the, in the dissolution of reality as we used to know it and the continuing <laughs> darkness of the pandemic, which makes it a good thing that we keep inviting interesting people who write cool stuff into our lives here on the podcast. But man, if it were just us, it might get bad. <laughs> so we've got Rebecca Ross here with us today. Uh, if you don't know Rebecca Ross's work, then for one thing, that needs to change. Uh, She has a well-established career as a YA novelist, a couple duologies under her belt. The most recent is The Dreams We Lie Beneath. But forthcoming in February, very soon, February 15th, if I remember correctly, we've got uh, your first adult fantasy novel, A River Enchanted. Hey, Rebecca.
2: How you doing? I'm good. Thank you guys so much for having me.
1: This must be sort of like exciting but also a little nerve-wracking making the shift from a genre that you've been successful in and very productive in to writing for an adult audience
2: it's definitely been a little nerve-wracking and i feel like the weeks leading up to release i'm definitely feeling a little bit of that anxiety okay. but i'm just like you know i'm just gonna roll with it and see what happens it's exciting I also think at this point, you know, we spent so many years working on this one book. So it's like it's kind of a relief to just set it out in the world and just let it go.
1: Right. Right. Oh, my gosh. I'm thinking about that a lot because I've just jumped back into a manuscript that I've been tinkering on revisions with for a while. And there is definitely a sort of like, I need you to just not be here anymore. I need you to be in other people's hands kind of a uh, feeling to it. So I have to ask because I'm I'm super interested. Um, Patrick and I both both have written books and are writers, so this is you know a, a world that we know something about from personal experience. And all of my critique partners, interestingly enough, don't write adult; they write MG and YA. But I only write adult, and so. I'm really interested. I guess from the point of view of someone who already works with people who are kind of like switching those those gears, at least when they're reading for me and 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 all that sort of stuff. Like, how was that process for you?
2: I did not set out to write an adult book to begin with. With River Enchanted, I had actually back in 2018 is when my debut, The Queen's Rising, came out. So debut year is always kind of chaotic, and you don't know what to expect, and it's like a roller coaster. And I had just finished drafting um, what was going to be my third novel, Sisters of Sword and Song. And I've drafted in like two months. So I was like, let me take a few months off just to let my like creative well refill. Well, those months ends up stretching to like six months, seven months, because I hit the worst writer's block I had ever encountered. And I was like, man, am I like three books and done? Like, I just I have like no ideas. It was like one of the most frustrating periods of my life. But um, it finally broke when I had this vision of the Isle of Cadence, and it was like this very misty, magical-looking place, very reminiscent to the Isle of Sky. And usually, all my books begin with character, and so the fact that the setting was calling to me, I was like, "This is very interesting. This is new for me. Like, who are the people who live here?" So I ended up discovering, strangely enough, Sidra and Torin first, and they are characters in their twenties. Like, I saw them very clearly. I'm like well this is going to be a ya book my next ya option so it's like well maybe they're just like secondary characters you know and they complement the ya protagonist's journey so i still needed to find my protagonist so then i discovered adara next and i was like well i still feel like i'm missing the protagonist and then eventually i found jack i was like okay well here here's my my main character and so to begin with he was like 18 he was like a student at the university and as I began, began writing, the book just kind of like turned on me a little bit. And I remember I was sending <laughs> chapters by chapters to my critique partner. So she was reading as I was writing. And it wasn't until she got to Sidra's chapter that she sent me a text and she was like, is this YA or adult? And I was like, I, I don't know. Like I should be able to answer that. But the fact that she had to ask me, I was like, oh, maybe this is not YA. So I remember just feeling like, I don't know, like, should I try to write an adult novel? I hadn't really thought about it um, because YA is what I know and what I'm comfortable with. But I was like, you know, just keep writing, like, write the book that you want to read and we'll figure this out later. So by the time I got to the end of the book, I was looking back over and it's like, it literally felt kind of like this 50-50, like half of it felt YA, half of it felt adult. and like, what do I do with this? Um, And I ended up just like realizing, like, you know, if I took it to the YA side, like, I'd have to age characters down. I'd have to change quite a few things. And I was just like, I don't want to do that. So I was like, well, let me age everything up and kind of rewrite it with an adult audience in mind. So it was this very kind of strange experience writing this book because, you know, and it's, it's funny to say, like, I honestly didn't know what it was really at the beginning. But I think by each time I revised it, I was figuring out like, you know, what I wanted it to be. And that honestly, it's okay to kind of exhale and write about these older characters and these themes that I hadn't touched on yet in my YA novels.
1: All of her talking about that, Patrick, made me think about when you, when you talk about discovery writing, um, because the whole, yeah, the whole thing, since Rebecca doesn't have the the benefit of that background, you should
0: probably. (laughs) (laughs) So, so there, you know, I used to, I used to produce, I should be writing for Mer Lafferty. I was her audio producer for, for many years. And we, people always talk about being a pantser. Mur prefers discovery writer, and I like it too. I just think it's a it's a better it's a better phrase, right? And uh, I am a discovery writer most of the time. Every time I've ever been, I've ever done outlines and stuff. It's when I was forced to by an agent. <laughs> After the fact, it's like, hey, this is a great book. I might want to represent this. Can I see your outline? <laughs> Shit. <laughs> So luckily for me, Scrivener has this nice little feature that you can actually create an outline from your chapters. So it will actually just spit out uh, an outline based on your chapter headings and and your paragraphs, your first paragraphs. So I was able to use that to very quickly kind of structure up an outline. But yeah, discovery writing, that that, that tends to be me nine times out of ten. I'm sitting there and I'm going to... The characters are the ones I'm discovering. It's like I'm writing and... (laughs) everything's going fine. Then all of a sudden this character goes, what about me? Oh, I didn't even know you existed. Give me a second. You know, so yeah. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I'm the same. I liken it to gardening where it's kind of like you're digging around in the soil. And I think I might've actually heard that from George R.R. Martin, where he says you're either like a gardener or an architect. So yeah. Um, we are kind of like digging around the soil and discovering things as you go. But, you know, you talking about Scrivener, I still use Microsoft Word and I hear Mm -hmm. so many people talk about Scrivener and the fact that it can pull an outline out for you like that, I might seriously need to shift over to Scrivener now (laughs) because I'm the same. I do not like the outline.
0: Okay. So so here's the, I haven't done the Scrivener pitch in a really, really long time. Full disclosure
1: time, people.
0: I have not done the Scrivener pitch in a really, really long time. So uh, the listeners are probably, you know, leaning into the speakers at this point. First off, if microsoft word does everything you need it to and you have no complaints none you don't really need to change okay, okay. that's what i always tell people cuz i teach i have taught scrivener many times i've taught it at writers conferences and if word does what you need you're probably good if there's something that word does that bothers you if there's if you if you run into problems with word then and you, you're just feeling like you might need something else, then Scrivener might be something good that you can look at. The big thing about Scrivener is that it, it's not a apples-to-apples apples replacement for Word. Word is a word processor. Scrivener is a project management software that includes a word processor. Yeah. Okay, So inside of Scrivener, you can have your outlines, your notes, your research... Images of actors that you think look like characters in your head, you know as you're kind of casting, you can have maps. Uh, you can pull in websites, pages from websites. You can have all this stuff there with you when you're writing. It's all in one in you know one project. So it is different. That tends to make people go, "Oh fuck, I can't touch that. That's too much. <laughs> the flip side is you can actually open it up and just start writing. It's got cool things like you can set your manuscript target. You can say this manuscript is going to be 100,000 words. I'm going to write Monday through Friday every single day. And it will calculate for you what your daily word count needs to be in order to hit your goal. Like you can put a month and say, I want to be done with this two, three months from now. It'll tell you. Okay, in that case, you need to write 750 words a day based on your target goal. And every day that you're writing and you hit your goal, it'll pop up and say good job. You hit your goal from this point on, everything is gravy. Right. So, uh, so that's kind of like the Scrivener pitch. It it is really cool. It does a lot of cool things for me. It does cool things like you can, uh, I still hit two spaces after a period because that's just the way I was trained. (laughs) That bugs the crap out of people now. Like it's a big deal. Scrivener has a setting when you export it, It will automatically turn any two spaces after a period into one. So you don't have to change how you type. You don't have to retrain yourself. You can just hit a button and it'll do it for you. That helped me so much because I used to have a critique partner, Shannon Lawrence, who uh, was ready to murder me. (laughs) She's a horror writer. Uh, and she was ready. so she knows I'm, lots of ways of doing yes, it. Cause horror yes. writer, yeah. She she's the one <laughs> that mentioned that uh, if you do have to kill someone, you bury them under uh, endangered species of plants, and then no one can ever dig you up.
2: Oh my gosh!
0: A- I, I, just,
2: I
1: sometimes I sit back and I say to myself, "What are the browser histories of the people that I know in the world of SFF?" And then I think, yes. "I
0: maybe I don't actually want to know those browser histories." So, so, so here, you know, the thing is, don't treat Scrivener like Word. In Word, you set up your template, right? You set up your document, you set up your fonts, you set up your spacing, how you want the lines spaced, how you want your indents done. All of that is handled in Scrivener outside of the editor. That's the other thing that causes people problems because they're sitting there going, I spent three hours setting up the document the way I wanted it. And when I hit export, it didn't do any of it. Well, that's because your editor is just for you. You can set that up. If you want to write everything in comic sans, go for it. But when you hit export, it's going to automatically export it in the standard manuscript formatting that editors and agents want. It's mm-hmm. always going to do that. So there's the scrivener pitch. Sorry, that was like five. No, so that was long.
2: super helpful because a while <laughs> back I did I downloaded the like the trial mm-hmm. and I was somewhat overwhelmed by it. So I was like, yes. I, I'm gonna have to come back to this at another time. Um, but I just keep hearing more and more of my author friends saying it's like changed their writing process and their lives. I was like, well, maybe I need to give another go. So that was helpful. Thank you. You can,
0: you can, uh, you can write linearly if that's the way you do it. Like if you're, if you're a a linear person, you can write Mm -hmm. that way. If you're not, you can write in chunks and you can move things around. You can have corkboard view where you have little cards on corkboards. And you can write your little synopses on them and you can move them around. And when you move them around, everything attached to them moves with them. So all your oh, chapters, cool. your scenes, everything that's attached to them moves. So there's lots of cool features. It is a little bit slightly different on, Word than it, or on uh, Microsoft Windows than it is on Mac. So okay. Mac is the better version, in my opinion, simply because it was the first and it's the most robust. Windows is trying to catch up. Now, they have a decent version. They really do. Uh, but it doesn't have all the bells and whistles that Mac has yet. But they're getting there. They're really, really close. Like they're adding more every time they do a new version. So if you if you truly want to try it out, uh, call me.
2: Okay.
0: And we'll walk through it. We'll do, we'll do another one of these. We'll do a Zencaster or a Zoom. We'll share screens and I'll walk you through the whole damn thing.
2: Okay. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I so, love
0: to turn people on to Scrivener. I really do. <laughs> Uh, I will. The last thing I'll say about Scrivener is that you can use it up until the editing process with your editor. uh, And then at that point, you're back in Word because they will not use Scrivener. Gotcha. So you'll export it out. You'll send it to them. They'll start. They'll turn on track changes. And then from that point on, you're back and forth in Scrivener. I have talked to some pretty decent authors who at the end of that cycle with their editor, they take the finished manuscript and they import it back into Scrivener and say, here's my finished manuscript. So they always have it in Scrivener as part of their story Bible.
2: Oh, wow. Okay. Very cool.
1: So good news. <laughs> I'm not going to talk about Scrivener. <laughs> I want to talk about something that it definitely made my antennae twitch when I was doing my show notes and getting ready for, for talking to you. And it's also of interest to me because Patrick's in Colorado. You worked at a Colorado dude ranch? I did, yes. <laughs> okay, you need to tell me everything. I need all your weird horse roping cows got out of the, the corral. Tourists did something bizarre stories. Just lay it on me.
2: <laughs> okay, let me see. So I went out there. I took a gap year between high school and college. And it was like a big deal because like I didn't know anyone out there Um, I am like a very shy homebody so like my parents literally kicked me out like you need to go do this and I am so glad I did but um, so it was uh, Lost Valley Ranch in Colorado about two hours from anything so literally in the middle of Pikes National Forest like nothing there Um, and so the girls typically would either be on the waitressing crew so they'd be doing like serving meals to the guests or you're on the cabin crew and then the guys were like the wranglers and the maintenance men and cooked in the kitchen. So, but I lived in a bunkhouse with a few of the girls and, um, my first season out there, I was in the waitressing career and the second season I was cabins and we had one day off a week. And so always on my day off, I would sign up to go horseback riding. Um, cause I didn't have a car. So it's like, you can't leave. So you're just, you're there. There's no cell phone service. There's like literally nothing. This was back in 2006 too. So mm-hmm. Um, But I remember, like, one day, like, you'd you'd pack your lunch, like, a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and you'd, like, hook it to the back of your saddle, and you'd be, like, riding all day, like, herding cattle. And I just absolutely loved it. And, of course, there were a few, gosh, there were definitely a few wild stories, like, horseback riding. But I'm trying to think if, like, one time there was this black bear going around the ranch. And, of course, like, I'm from Georgia, so I remember just being, like – horrified at the thought of like you know a black bear possibly going around and he got in the dumpster one time and we were opening the dumpster and his like butt kind of like fell out of the dumpster and so we were like oh my gosh like what is That's this the bear and his butt like fell out so we're like pushed him back in the dumpster like what do we do <laughs> um and he like made we're himself i'm really fit. sorry
1: please go back
2: to eating the garbage (laughs) eating the garbage but we had like um like I had to learn how to square dance like once a week we would square dance with the guests (laughs) and we would put on this melodrama once a week as well and it was it was a lot of fun but it was it was hard work but I loved it I love Colorado so much if I could convince my husband to move out there I would but he does not like snow I'm like, well, shoot, like we can't move to Colorado <laughs> now because it
0: snows so much. But So you, you said Pikes. So that's, that's what, 24 west out of uh, Colorado Springs up by Pikes Peak? Mm-hmm. So I'm going to tell you a couple of things. One, they have finished paving Pikes Peak. So the road really? now that goes up there, I have been told, is now fully paved, which, which kind of bums me out because <laughs> I used to love when people would visit, I would take them to Pikes Peak, and we'd get to that point where the sign goes, you know, pavement ends 500 feet and they'd be like uh what (laughs) (laughs) and then we hit the dirt road as you're going up you know and you're you're up at almost to the top of pike's peak and you're on this dirt road now that's i've been told that's all been paved so that kind of sucks but i think i know the area where you're talking about and uh i i love that entire area i have actually considered because i live up and i live closer to denver i'm in a suburb of denver called aurora I have considered moving to Colorado Springs multiple times just cause I love garden of the gods. I love, mm-hmm. uh, Manitou and I love going up 24 in the pikes. And it, it's just, yeah, it's a, it's a gorgeous area.
2: Yeah. I love it too. And there was like the, I believe it was the Hayman fire, um, that burned a bunch of that forest and it actually like the went, it split around the ranch actually, because like they all evacuated, oh, but a few people stayed behind cause it's like, you know we still have you know horses here and stuff but the fire actually split and went around it but i remember like riding you know riding through the forest and like literally everything was charcoal so like i would come back from my horseback rides just like covered in charcoal cuz your like, shoulders would hit the tree branches and stuff but um, yeah very very beautiful place and i loved it so much
0: well it's but so in genial. georgia in georgia you got that 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 loop that goes around atlanta Right. That mm-hmm. highway bypass thing that goes around Atlanta, uh, That's really cool because you can do a thousand miles an hour on that. <laughs> and uh, it's just on ludicrous speed. You go and to when Vlad you're doing a on thousand miles an hour, the cops are pulling up next to you going, come on, go faster. Go faster!" <laughs> the kudzu is going to catch you if you don't go faster. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I used so, to live in Chattanooga. So that's why I know. Okay. I know Atlanta. Uh, I used to go down to Atlanta every once in a while. And uh, it was just funny. I would go on that. uh, I I would always do that loop because I would have to go down to Forest Park. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want to say the speed limit on that sucker was 55 no one was doing fifty five.
2: No. No one suggestion. was doing fifty five. You will cause a wreck if you drive fifty five, because everyone yeah. yeah, everyone around you is like flying.
0: And and the story about the cop is real, because I was doing I was doing fifty-five and a cop pulled up next to me and started wildly just like what? go faster. Really?
1: Like he was pissed
0: and I was like, Oh my god. <laughs> so I started speeding up. Yeah, it was hilarious. Yeah.
1: That's amazing. Oh my god. I have had to do a lot of driving in uh, downtown Chicago in the last couple of weeks uh, because of the holidays and my brother lives um, and then the very north side of Chicago. And so I'm in the suburbs outside in the south and have to go and get him and bring him to come spend time with family and do stuff. And uh, yeah, it's a whole reminder that there really is a persona for where, where you live, how driving works. Um, like the Chicago driving persona is based entirely on, yeah, I can fit my car in there. (laughs) Like everything is based around that phrase, whether it's lane changes or like the last possible moment of realizing that you don't actually want to be on that off ramp or, you know, parking or any number of things. Right. It's all based off of, yeah, I can fit that car in there. Um. (laughs) Not so much speed it's 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 about like can we make things materially occupy the same space in a world of physics and the answer is somehow yes, like we're really just um we're, we're essentially bi locating. <laughs>
0: world of physics
1: yeah kind of and of course we're going to get to enjoy that in the near future uh patrick and myself because we're going to Capricorn in Capricorn. chicago but in i'm just not driving <laughs> uh, no no you're not driving uh because that would not be fantastic no, have you I've found there done that uh, rebecca you mentioned you know kind of being um more shy or or reticent or or so on, have you found that the pandemic and the more closed in conditions of it has been good for your process as a writer
2: or not so much or mixed bag or I'm curious? I feel like 2020 was one of like the worst creative years that I had. Um, Mm. I felt like I couldn't really create anything new. And thankfully, I was on deadline both for A River Enchanted and Dreams Beneath*, So that kept me busy because I was doing revisions which typically I don't like revisions. I would prefer to draft, but I just remember feeling like just very overwhelmed. And I think, I don't know if you guys have ever taken the Enneagram personality test, if you know what your number is, if you've ever even heard of it, but no, if I you haven't, I, I think you should both go like figure out what your number is. Um, but I'm a four on the Enneagram, which uh, means like I feel things like very keenly. and um, And so I think just like thinking about what people were going through was just like so overwhelming for me. And um, yeah, I basically went almost all of 2020 without like drafting or writing anything new. So, and I do feel like it took me a while, like even with like, um, like getting on these Zoom, like Zoom events and panels, like it almost felt even worse because I was always worried about my technology messing up or something, or it's sometimes a little bit awkward when like, you know, who's supposed to speak next and it's, I don't know. So I had to kind of, you know, try to get used to doing the Zoom panels and things like that, but... Um, on the, on the good side though, I do feel like having something like zoom, um, has been good because it does allow you to do events that so many people can tune into now. So, you know, in the past, like it would just be in person. And if you had readers who are out of state or even out of the country, like, you know, they didn't get to participate in that. So I do think there's also some good in it. So,
0: yeah, we've talked about that before because, to your point, you, you also had the opportunity to go to conventions that you otherwise wouldn't have gone to, Mm -hmm. gone to events that you otherwise wouldn't have gone to both as an author and, you know, as a, as a, as an attendee, right. Someone, someone just going and, and it, it offered uh, quite a, a, an opportunity. And I'm hoping that that opportunity continues even after we get more in person. I've done a couple of in-persons now and, there that's different. It's a different vibe
1: yeah.
0: for sure. From, from what it was, you know, before the COVID times, before the dark times. And uh, it's just interesting, you know, number one, everybody's wearing a mask. So you don't have that. You don't have the
2: mm. facial
0: expressions that you used to have. You know, you don't have necessarily the body language cues right? That you used to have when you're talking to someone. And then <laughs> the thing that's bugging me is when you go to a convention now and everybody has to wear a mask, and you have soft spoken people and no microphones. And so you've yeah. got people sitting in the audience going, What? What? What did you say? Oh, no. What? Yeah. yeah
1: and you, you need the masks. So the issue yes. is really just have we synced up? I mean, it, and, and there's a good argument to be made that any con that is putting a a panel or a reading or an event in a room of any real size needs to just have microphones by default. Like long before we had to worry about masking and and as a public health measure, like that really should have been something that we considered because there are are all sorts of people who need it either because of the way they speak or because of the way they hear. Um, But yeah, I think to some extent, the the cons are still working on catching up with how do we adapt the, the we've always done this the way before Ness of the thing that we do to the situation that we're in. Yeah.
0: And I think it's also been a challenge. You talked a little bit about, you know, uh, writing and, 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 and launching books. We, we keep talking about that with a lot of people because we've, we've had mm-hmm. a lot of people who, you know, their, their book babies have come out during COVID times and, not only are they struggling to figure out how to promote them, so is the publishing companies. They're kind of like, huh, well, normally we would have asked you to go to, go to like these three events. And now those three events aren't happening. Hmm. Yeah. So have you, have you had any challenges that way?
2: Yes. I mean, I, a river and is doesn't be my third book published during the pandemic. And I remember like, when Sisters of Sword and Song came out in June of 2020. So it was literally like probably one of the hardest times to launch a book. And I didn't even feel like talking about it. Like I had my, um, I did a launch, a virtual launch with Little Shop of Stories. And I think like seven people tuned in, you know, it just felt like, so just like, I don't, oh gosh, this, this book's going to completely flop because And then the other thing, if, you know, all the bookstores are closed and I do think a lot of people walk into a bookstore and browse and find books that way. So if you're shopping online on Amazon, you know, the way their algorithm works, they're only going to be really showing the things that are like selling and very popular. So like, you know, if you are like a mid list author who does depend on people kind of walking into a store and seeing your cover and be like, Oh, what is this? You know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I just remember just feeling so defeated by that. Like, I don't even know what, what to think here. Um, and then with dreams lie beneath, it was a little bit better because by this point I kind of we've been living in the pandemic times for a while. Um, but I do say with like a river enchanted, I'm hoping to have some in-person events. But I'm just like my fingers are crossed because I just I don't know, but <laughs> yeah. it would be nice. Um, but I do think it's it has been really interesting watching even just like publishers trying to figure out like how do we promote these books during this time. Um, I think a lot of people do feel like fatigued from zoom as well. So it's like, Oh, I'm having my lunch on zoom and people are just really tired of, of doing that. And so one thing that my agent pitched for me to do for preparing for James live beneath was to do like a cocktail mocktail hour with booksellers. So it was a zoom, but um, I had two other authors join me and we had like, we made like drinks specific to our book. So we all had like a cocktail. So it felt like a cocktail hour where you're meeting with booksellers but it was all on zoom, but it still kind of gave it just more of a fun approach than just being like sitting on zoom and talking. That's Um, awesome. Yeah. I I think
1: similar to the ending up at cons, you wouldn't have ended up with otherwise, or, you know, kind of working with other authors and things. Some of the more, some of the events that have happened for people promoting their books that have made me more excited during the course of the pandemic have been things where, um, an hour with so-and-so interviewed by so-and-so and they'll get, you know, two authors together. I mean, oftentimes they're being published by the same publisher and that's sort of how, how you do the thing. And maybe one of them is is more established and may or may not have something coming out right now, but they are present to sort of lend their platform and their intrinsic interest to the other author who's going to be the subject of a kind of like a conversation with so-and-so. And I've seen so many of those, Advertise where it's like a conversation with so-and-so hosted by N.K. Jemison, or a conversation with so-and-so hosted by Sam J. Miller. Um, And I think it's a really clever way of taking advantage of the fact that space considerations and distance considerations aren't the same for those events. And so rather than treating them as a a sort of detriment uh, to how you draw people in, trying to turn it into the biggest asset that you can.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, I remember. I remember trolling Barnes and Noble's website years ago. You know, looking at their author events mm-hmm. and tattered cover and different ones. You know, to see who's coming to town, when when are they going to be here, who are they talking about? You know, and and now you just kind of get get to watch the social media, <laughs> <laughs> right? Yeah, and see who's talking to who and when and 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 how to sign up. It's it's definitely different. Yeah.
1: I want to make sure that we leave some time here to do picks of the week. Are we feeling it? Picks of the week?
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm up for picks. All right, of
1: let's do it. Picks, picks
0: of the week. week.
1: So, Patrick, do you want to show Rebecca how it's done before we, we jump sure. in? Sure.
0: Yeah. Sure. So, my pick this week is uh, the final. I'm going to use air quotes because it's up in the air. Uh, final season, the final contractual season of The Expanse on Amazon Prime. When Amazon picked them up, they, they contracted for three seasons, I think. And, and so that's what we've gotten. They just completed it uh, with an episode called Babylon's Ashes, which if you're familiar with the books, that is the sixth book in the series. And I think they did a great job. They really did. Uh, I love that the the authors behind uh, James S.A. Corey have been so involved with the series they've been in the writer's room they've been executive producers they've had cameos and they've just helped guide that show and and keep it i think one of the best science fiction shows that we've had in a really really long time i i i was wondering why they kept every every episode this season open up with laconia so if you're not familiar with the books at all I'm going to give you some spoilers here. It's also spoilers for the show. But at, at some point, some Martians decide that they're done and they're giving up on Mars. And they make some deals and they sell out the rest of the solar system and they shoot off into a into the ring gate. And they head off to a new planet and they found a planet called Laconia. And this is where they're going to kind of rebuild human the human species using the proto molecule. And so, every, every, there's like these little vignettes in the beginning of every episode this season that have shown Laconia. I was annoyed by that because since this is the final season and Laconia is the final three books, there's lots of stuff going on there. It felt a little mean <laughs> <laughs> that they would give us these glimpses of Laconia. But apparently they're, they're still trying to get the last three books done. So they're, they're kind of shopping it around and trying to see if anybody would be interested in funding three more seasons uh, so they can finish out and have, you know, nine seasons like they have nine books. So that's why they did the Laconia stuff. But uh, uh, the other stuff, the Babylon's Ashes stuff, the, the Rosananti stuff and the crew, that all was fantastic. And it just, it, it, it shows that you can, it, like if this is the end of the show, it's a fine ending. It's it's not Battlestar Galactica. It's not Lost. It's not Game of Thrones. It's not any, you know, insert your favorite television property that screwed you over with the ending. Uh, I thought that they did a really, really good job. Uh, they got us exactly where we needed to be. And so I was very, very excited. So The Expanse... This is a
1: com- This is a conversation for another time, but I'm one of the four people on the planet who actually really liked the ending of Battlestar Galactica.
0: We'll (laughs) we'll table that for future discussion. Understood. (laughs) But that's my pick. The Expanse Season 6. Amazon.
2: Nice. Nice. Rebecca, how about you? So I'm going to be pretty practical. Um, So for Christmas this year, my husband got me something and he was like, Kind of building it up, he's like, maybe I shouldn't have, maybe I shouldn't have gotten you this. I'm like, what? What is he talking about? Now I'm like anxious to open this gift, but it was a Ufi, which is a one of those robotic vacuum cleaners. It's like the disc that runs around yeah. on your floor. Yeah. And I honestly can't believe like we hadn't gotten one sooner. We have an Australian Shepherd, so she like sheds quite a bit. And then um, he's a landscaper, so he's always bringing in like. Grass, pine straw, dirt, and then I'm an I'm at home working, and I just like I hate cleaning the house. It's like I just do not have time to clean the house. I'm like I have other things I'd rather be doing. So just having that thing run once a day has literally like changed our lives, and it's just like feels it's just so nice. I don't have to like constantly sweep and vacuum. I just let that thing run.
0: And what was the what was the brand name of it?
2: It was called it's Uf, I think we call it a it's Eufy. It's e u f y. Huh. Huh.
0: Because I I actually got one, too. Oh, you did? But I like to torture it. (laughs) So whenever I turn it on, I always put things in its path and force it to take new paths so it can never, ever actually learn my house. Oh, no. You do you,
1: Patrick. You do you. I fully
0: admit that when the machines rise up, it will be my fault. (laughs)
1: Yeah, that's 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 fair. It's currently communicating to all the other Roombas and being like this son of a bitch. (laughs) Can you even believe him?
0: (laughs) And every once in a while, I'll move it like I've moved it three times now to a different spot because I'm still trying to figure out where I want it. And so when it goes out, it's like, oh, I'm going to wait a minute. Where'd this come from? Why is this here? Look,
1: I'll, all I want to know is when Shadow is going to start riding it like a chariot into battle. That's oh no, all no, no, no! That's the cat, the cat
0: is upstairs. As soon as that thing starts, he's gone, <laughs> yeah. and he sits at the top of the stairs looking down like, "You fucking piece of shit!" Whatever that is, <laughs> I hate you.
2: Is, is the Australian Shepherd good with its new pet? She doesn't like it either. She. Uh, yeah. When it goes in front of her, the window she prefers to sit at and look at, I mean, it, she just about loses her mind every time it goes there. And she wants to hurt it and bark at it. Right, yeah, obey she, me. She's 10 years old, so she's gotten a little bit slower. I mean, she's still got probably way too much energy. But, no, she, she hates it, too, and she, she wants to tear it up, but...
0: I'm like, Look, I, I will... like,
2: because you're shedding, I need to have this thing running every day.
0: I will agree with Rebecca. It's nice to have that sucker go through and clean everything and 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 pick up all the little bits of dirt. Like I unfortunately what ends up happening at my house, I have hardwood floors and I have a litter box. So I have I have a, a, a mat under the litter box that's supposed to catch the litter when he walks out. I have another one that stretches a little bit further, but it never fails that, like, <laughs> I can be sitting on the couch and it's like, why is there litter here? <laughs> oh, no. Where is the litter coming from? And he's just sitting in the corner going, yeah, that's right, you piece of shit. He's <laughs> getting those paws,
1: man. Yeah. All right. Well, so we've got kind of a variety pack here. We've had television, we've had uh, a a handy household appliance, and now we've got a game. Um, So this is not a new game. We've actually had it in my household for three or four years now. Um, But just recently it started hitting the table a lot because Deirdre started playing it. And sort of the as everybody who listens to the show regularly knows, the sort of watchword of the towns and houses that Deirdre is in fact in charge. Um, and so she started getting into it after David encouraging her over and over and over again to, to give it a shot. And now she really super likes it. It's called Azul. And the basic premise of the game is that it's you know generating points by laying tiles in a certain way, but it's based off of the whole idea of um, it, tile mosaics and things uh, being laid in uh, Portuguese manor houses and things of that nature from the from the medieval period. And so it's got just like really pretty bits and interesting scoring mechanics and stuff, and a couple of really nice expansions. It plays pretty fast, anywhere from like a half an hour to an hour, depending on how many people you're playing with and how into sort of analysis paralysis they are. Um, but it also teaches really easily. So there's a lot of depth to it, ton of replay value, um, scales up and down for different numbers of players really well. So if you're looking for a game to play with people who like the aesthetic of games, they want it to to not just play well, but like look really good and also uh, give a lot of flexibility for folks who are more choosy about their games, check out Azul. as Particularly if you're going to um, play it on the regular, I suggest the Crystal Mosaic expansion. It's basically like this thing that fits over the board that keeps the tiles from getting knocked out of space or anything like that. It's
2: very handy. That sounds amazing. I'm gonna have to check that out. It's fun. It's good.
1: All right, folks. So here we are at the end of all things, to to paraphrase Samwise Gamgee. Let's make sure that folks know where to find A River Enchanted and where to find you, Rebecca. So in this wide, wide world of interwebs and bookstores and everything else,
2: where can folks find you and your work? Um, So you can find River Enchanted, River Books are sold. Um, and then online, socially, I... I'm on. I have platforms across the board, but I'm mainly on Instagram. That's the one that I chose to really focus on. So you can find me there, Becca J Ross. I have a Twitter and Facebook, but it's mainly for updates.
0: Mm-hmm. So, so Rebecca on Instagram, do you like the filters?
2: I don't. So I I edit my um, photos with Visco, and then sometimes I'll even do. Um, Snapseed to do, like do a little more tweaks. So I never really use the filters that Instagram has.
0: They have a really cool one now and I'm gonna show it to you. Um, oh really? My cat is on ah. fire. <laughs>
2: They're flaming- talking about like like the story the story filters. Yeah. Okay.
0: He actually looks like he's on fire, like his eyes are <laughs> burning. It, it was so freaking cool. <laughs> This is, I was That's like, app. Oh my God, where did this come from?
2: <laughs> that is awesome. I will say <laughs> some of, sometimes with the stories, it does. It is fun to kind of pull, see, like see what filters they have, but
1: yes. Awesome.
2: All right. Well, thanks so much for being with us,
1: Rebecca.
0: It was good to see you.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Happy new year. And that means it's time for a new bumper. I've got a couple of extra things for you before we close out the episode. First, Tracy and I will be at Capricorn 42, February 3rd through the 6th in Chicago. Capricorn 42 will be held in person at the Sheraton Grand Chicago Hotel. We're talking about doing some sort of hangout, and as soon as we get that locked down, I'll let you know they've not locked in the schedule yet, uh, but I think they're getting really close. So we'll let you know as soon as we do. For more information about Capricorn 42, please visit Capricorn.org. In the meantime, you should check out Beyond the Trope, a great podcast run by some pretty awesome people. Giles and Michelle have been putting out episodes regularly for over seven years. They have a lot of great guests just like we do and have a lot of fun just like we do. I think you'll like them. Go check them out at beyondthetrope.com. You're still listening, aren't you? Chica-chica.